The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Today's episode of the History of Literature is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash H-O-L. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com slash H-O-L. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the History of Literature podcast. Let's start with an email. Dear Jack, your History of Literature podcasts are superb. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Well, let me just note there that this is a much more likely way to get me to read your emails. The emails that start with idiot. I still read those, but I read them in a different way. I do love getting emails, though, no matter how they start. And I read them all, and I try to respond to as many as I can. So keep them coming. Let's get back to the email. Dear Jack, your history of literature podcasts are superb. I enjoy your insights, your sense of humor, your discussions and interviews, kindness, and the creativity of your surprise bonus questions. Please keep doing these podcasts forever. They're wonderfully nourishing for the mind and the soul. I live in Alaska, where it's been negative 50 degrees this past week. We have about five hours of daylight, so much of our days feel as if we're living in a deep, dark freezer. But as I exercise at the gym, I'm listening to your podcasts, sometimes laughing out loud at your witticisms or lighthearted, lighthearted comments and passing the time happily learning about literature. In my mind, the weather is sunny and warm, conjured up by your voice. So many times when you've expressed tactfully worded opinions or your philosophy of life, I've had to restrain myself from saying out loud, yes, amen, so that I don't get weird looks from other people at the gym. I have downloaded every one of your podcasts and am listening to the most recent ones first. A week ago, I listened to your podcast about Javier Marias and a heart so white. I had never heard of Marias, even though I have a master's degree in literature from the University of Alaska Fairbanks but I bought it after hearing your podcast. I just finished the novel and absolutely loved it. The influences of Lawrence Stern, Marquez, and Proust particularly endeared him to me. Thank you so much for introducing me to this author. I've ordered every one of his books. You also inspired me to read Kotzea's Disgrace, another gem of a novel. And in a few minutes, I'm going to order Bondi's Forbidden Stories from North Korea as a result of listening to your latest podcast. Thank you, thank you, Jack, for doing this wonderful program. You've enriched my life beyond measure. I don't even notice the dark or the cold as long as I'm listening to you. Keep up the excellent shows. Warm regards, Debbie Tillsworth. Well, thank you, Debbie. What a kind email. I truly do appreciate it. It's not as cold here in Washington, D.C., but it's pretty gray. Very gray, very, very, very gray. So this was heartwarming to receive, and I pass it along to Mike, who said it even melted his cynicism, which is no easy feat. So thank you for the warmth. 
and I'm very glad you're enjoying the show up there in Alaska. And your email is in the right spirit for today's show. We're going to be looking at great literary cities. Mike and I each chose five good ones, and we'll be making the case for our top ten. Stay tuned for that. We have some some surprising inclusions and some even more surprising omissions. But first, a quick note. We recorded this conversation in September. At one point, we talked in the in the interview you're about to hear, in the discussion you're about to hear, we talk about North Korea. And I, I'm not going to add it to the list of top 10 literary cities simply because we now have Bondi's short stories. But I, I would have mentioned Bondi had we recorded this more recently. Several of you have written me about the Bondi episode, and I thought you might want to know why I didn't bring him up when the topic of North Korea comes up. It's because this conversation was recorded a few months ago. So why put it out now? Why hold off? Well, some of you might be thinking about moving or planning a trip this spring or summer. Why not head to a literary city? Maybe you're feeling disaffected, but you're unable to move or unable to travel this year. Maybe you need to think local, do what you can to improve things around you. Why not improve your own city? Make it more literary. Hopefully, this conversation will give you some thoughts on how to get that done. So here we go. Our old friend Mike, the president of the Literature Supporters Club, in our discussion of great literary cities. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes... The Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, or Wondery Kids Plus, in Apple Podcasts. Have you been to every place on your list? I have, but I put a couple that I've never been to. Okay. But I did put them at the end. Okay. Okay. I found that to be one of the toughest things for me is if it was a place I've only read about, it was hard for me to rank it high. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So I'm going to let you choose first. The topic is great literary cities. What's your first choice? 
So, Jack, I thought this podcast reminded me of the 84 draft. Uh, <laughs> Is that the one with Elway, Marino? No, no, the, the NBA 84 draft, oh, okay. which was really top-heavy, and uh, it was Elijah Juan and Jordan. Was third, right. Yeah, and then there was, I mean, there's there's no Sam Bowie in <laughs> this podcast, but, you know, there was a, quite a drop-off after those two. You know, you, you suddenly got like Vern Fleming and... <laughs> Anyway, so I, I I think you know, the one the the first two picks are going to be pretty obvious. So I'll pick one. I'll pick one of them, and you pick the other. So I, I I'll go with Paris. Oh, you know, I I had the feeling that you were. I kept getting texts from you during the past week that would say we oui, instead of yes, and I had a feeling you were leaning toward <laughs> Paris. I actually I don't think this is as top heavy as as you do. At first, I did. At first, Paris was in my top three. They were not in my top five in the end. So we may have taken different approaches. So make the case for Paris. So, Jack, I found that with certain cities, the thing going for them was their literary past. Mm -hmm. And with other cities, it was the fact that in the present day, given you know, the economics, given the diversity of people, it was a very attractive place for budding writers. Right. And I feel that Paris is one of the few cities that had both. Mm. I don't know where to start. I mean, I could start at the 14th century, but let me just jump to the 19th century and Baudelaire and Balzac and the Hashish Club meeting. Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo, Alexander Dumas. I mean, you're talking about real heavyweights, and they used to hold seances while on <laughs> <laughs> while smoking hash, um, and presumably, you know, talking great books. And mm -hmm. you, you fast forward to 1920s Paris, the expat scene, and I I, I start with the Hashish Club because they were French writers. And I think a lot of people, when they think of Paris, they think of the expat scene. Mm -hmm. And, in, and they don't, in the twenties, in the twenties, and they don't really think of French writers. And I think the thing that drew the expats there were the French writers. Mm -hmm. How groundbreaking Baudelaire's poetry was at the time, and I mean the nineteen twenties scene. So much has been said about the lost generation and the collective of writers, but I think often what's glossed over is the fact that it was there were painters also like Picasso and. Sculptors mm -hmm. like Brancusi, and it, it was an incredibly fertile environment. I have so many anecdotes, but I'll give you this one. When Hemingway moved to Paris for the first time with his wife, Hadley, um, their apartment was so small, that, and the, there was no running water. The bathroom consisted of like a little bucket. But Paris was so inexpensive at that time that Hemingway simply rented another space down the block as mm. his writer studio. Mm. So you can imagine the paradox of not having running water but being able to afford a writing studio. Yeah, those those writers who were there in the 20s, I think it was because of the First World War that the things were so cheap and they really did just seem to be almost giddy with the fact that they could live in such a city for so cheap. I mean, it's it's pretty rare for writers that they're not crowded out or, or starved out of something. But here they had access to Paris and the, all the cafes and just the the whole city is really set up for 
writers and, and thinking and philosophers, the way that the cafes and the way the boulevards are set up and, and the sidewalk cafes. It is a great pick. It's hard to argue with. Uh, we went all this. We've probably talked about it for a few minutes now without even mentioning Proust. Paris, it's hard to imagine Proust in any other city and being in, as inspired as much. I'll tell you my the reason why Paris was not my number one. Mm-hmm. I developed three criteria, <laughs> and I looked at uh, inspiration was, you know, have a lot of books been set there? Were authors inspired by the city itself? And Paris certainly scored very high on as far as that goes. I think there's no question that Paris has inspired a lot of great literary artists. Number two was atmosphere, and I think that includes a lot uh, history, but just are there a lot of cafes and publishing houses and do they give a lot of readings do they have festivals is there a university there questions like that is there art for people to look at and again paris scored really high on that and then my third criteria was does the city identify itself as a home for literature is it really part of its core identity And this is why some of the cities that you might expect to be high on the list because of the sheer number of writers, why they fell a little bit. Because if a city had a lot of other things going on, or -hmm. if they were better known for something else, I tended to knock them down a little bit that I thought. And Paris, I think ultimately I thought it's kind of a painter's paradise it's kind of a painter's city it's interesting you say that there was there's there's almost too much going on because that that was one of the reasons why i didn't have new york Mm. in my top five because i i you know i've heard the saying that new york is the best place to write your second book Mm. and that you know it's very difficult to complete your first novel in New York because it's so distracting. Yeah, how do you take it all on? Yeah. Okay, so my number one, and keep in mind the three criteria that I set forward, inspiration, atmosphere, and identity, I took Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm. And it's got a great tradition of writers uh, from David Hume to Edward Gibbon to J.K. Rowling. And I love that J.K. Rowling used to write in the pubs next to Ian Rankin, who's probably the greatest crime writer in the UK now. It was also the first UNESCO city of literature, which I was not that familiar with the UNESCO rankings, but basically they they set forward these criteria to be a city of literature. And in 2004, Edinburgh was like, we're in. <laughs> that's, that's us, we want to be. And so they were the first. And the criteria is things like, quality and quantity and diversity of publishing and uh, the number of educational programs focusing on literature and reading and how important literature and drama and poetry are to the city and the libraries and bookstores and all the kind of infrastructure that you need. And, you know, Edinburgh, unlike Paris, for example, Edinburgh seems to have uh, not as much going on. They seem to make writing and literature and reading the Mm -hmm. highest priority for their city. They have a carry a poem initiative where people walk around with, with a poem in their pocket. And which is, which is is just great that they care enough about that. And there's writers like Muriel Spark and Robert Louis Stevenson and, 
and Alexander McCall Smith and Kate Atkinson and and Robbie Burns and William Wordsworth and Walter Scott and they have statues and and other ways of commemorating their writers and it just seemed to me like of all the cities they were the ones who mm-hmm. were were going above and beyond their their natural call of duty to make themselves the great literary city. I can see what you mean about a city focusing on literature because mm-hmm. as you were talking about Edinburgh and I visited Edinburgh and Scotland and I, I love I love the city and you know you, you have uh, Macintosh's architecture and mm-hmm. the museums in Edinburgh are great and it, it's a really kind of perfect small walking city. Right. And I was thinking how Paris has a lot of posers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, New York, especially Brooklyn, has a lot of people who are conformist, what I would think of as conformist in their nonconformity. Mm. And you don't have that kind of nonsense and posing in places like Edinburgh and some of my other picks. Right. Saul Bellow had this great line about life in the 20s in Chicago, and he said it was easier to be poor then. The thing about New York and Paris is I don't think it's that easy to be poor. And that can be a a big thing for a writer. I actually don't know what it would be like to live in in Paris without much money. But I know in New York, you would probably spend most of your time time trying to figure out how to get money because you would need it. Yeah, you would see the city in a completely different light if you were working a drab job. Hmm. You know, there there was an Onion article recently that... Uh, really captured New York. It said, um, Brooklyn real estate agent advises Brooklyn residents to spend only 150% of their income on rent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so who's, who's there? You know, you end up with people who have jobs, who've made it. Now I know you've spent your whole life there. So before we turn this into too much of a, uh, a rant against New York. It is a great literary city. I mean, it's it's the publishing capital of America. It's it's had hundreds or thousands of writers. I think every children's book I read, mm-hmm. probably ninety percent of them were set in New York. Yeah, you know, it's got the Algonquin Club and and the Beats and the the whole village scene. And I I do think just in the identity from an identity standpoint, it's a little bit too much of a banker's town, or at least Manhattan is. And like we said, there's too much going on. It can be kind of distracting or overwhelming, but it can also be inspiring and and energizing. And it was interesting to me when we started talking about this, that you were talking about Brooklyn. I always kind of think of New York as one city, but I think you were maybe drawing a distinction between Brooklyn and Manhattan when thinking about whether either of them should belong on the list. Yeah, well, because I remember reading that New York, living in New York, I think you have to keep up with the parodies and the level of parodies. And there's a rag called the New York Observer, and they had an article where a guy likened the the art scene in in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as akin to Florence during the Renaissance. Mm. (laughs) Which, which, Which made me throw the throw the paper in the, the garbage. <laughs> but I, I think what he they're trying to say is that there is a real draw for young people mm-hmm. 
for a while it was slightly cheaper than New York, and now it's becoming even. But I mean, I, I will say though that like many things that are literary, you put in the work to find something, and it's amazing in New York. There's a place called Poet's House, which is completely free, mm. and it has this um, incredible library. It has every volume of poetry published in the in, in America, probably in the last like fifty years, mm. and it allows you to eat and drink in the library. Mm. <laughs> so people show up with coffee and wine and <laughs> sandwiches and and it overlooks, it's right next to the most eco residential building in the country called the River House. Um, and it overlooks the Hudson and it's stunning. Mm. So New York has places like that. You know, New York has everything. I mean, that's the thing. If you... If you want to write about any kind of person or any kind of neighborhood or any demographic, basically you can find it in New York. It's got a whole yeah. universe within it. Yeah. Uh, we could probably do a whole episode just about New York. That might be an interesting thing. Maybe we'll do great New York writers or something. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but that is kind of yeah. the elephant in the room. I had it as number seven on my list. So <laughs> why don't we uh, go to your number two? So I went with London. Ah, yeah. Um, London is when I was talking about, you know, past ghosts versus mm -hmm. an attractive place um, to go to in the present. For me, London is really about the history Mm -hmm. Having visited London many times, I can't say I've ever seen a single person in a pub working on a novel, <laughs> <laughs> let alone writing a letter. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, because you go to Paris and people are just scribbling. Right, right. You know, and if you go at night, uh, if you go for a stroll at night along the quays, there are people playing the guitar and scribbling. <laughs> and it's it, it's almost like a parody of artistic, you know, struggle. Right. But it's you know it's genuine. I mean, people are working on their on their works, and in London, I never see that. But you know, we're talking about Shakespeare's London, Dickens. Um, I was just looking at Mrs. Dalloway, which is about mm. a single day in London. Yep. It's got uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and the whole Sherlock Holmes. Right, and Ian Fleming and James yeah. Bond. Yeah, and Dr. Johnson, one of my heroes. It just goes on and on and on. I mean, it's it's the publishing capital. If if it's not New York, it's London. It's 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 just got it all. George Orwell. When I go to Paddington Station and I think of Paddington Bear and Agatha Christie had a house there. It just it's it's a great pick. You've you've got a very strong list going. <laughs> <laughs> And modern contemporary writers like Martin Amis mm, yep. and uh, Ian McEwen. It, it's just a place that can be very inspiring to choose one of your criteria. Yeah. And it it also, it's a magnet. A lot of the writers we've mentioned weren't born there. Shakespeare, right. chief among us, Shakespeare, Dr. Johnson, they Conan Doyle, but they, they wind up there. They're like the Beatles, you know. You you might make it as big as you can in Liverpool, but then once you're once you get over that first hurdle, time to go to London. What did you go with your number two? I, I feel like your list. I normally I'm the unpredictable one, but I feel like <laughs> I, I I have no idea where you're gonna go. 
Well, my number two is kind of close to my number one. Uh-huh. It's uh, I took Dublin. Ah, that was number my number five. Okay. Yeah. So Dublin, obviously. I mean, it's almost there just because of Joyce alone, who exiled himself from Dublin, but Dublin uh, never really left his heart. Uh, he wanted to recreate L- Dublin brick by brick. All the, uh, obviously the Dubliner stories are there. Ulysses is set there. And even though Dublin maybe uh, loses some points for sending Joyce into exile, even though that was more Joyce's decision, but their commitment now to Joyce and their commitment to Bloomsday alone, I think would keep it in my top five. I don't know if you heard the the conversation I had with Vincent O'Neill, who grew up in Dublin and walked the streets of Joyce's landscape when he was a young boy and now he's an actor. But he was telling me that he went to a grocery store in Dublin and five people were reading from Ulysses and it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even Bloomsday. It was just something that just goes on all the time, which is just a just an amazing commitment to literature, a love of literature, a pride in literature. And then it's got all the other great Irish authors who who studied there or lived there or or did their writing there, Oscar Wilde and Jonathan Swift and Yeats. And they have a literary pub crawl, which I highly recommend. <laughs> uh, they have the Abbey Theater. They have the Dublin Writers Museum, the James Joyce Center. They're just so proud of their writers. And it's such a, a, a plucky city and such an interesting city. And it's it seems just the right size to inspire writers who uh, can take something from the streets and the buildings and just the atmosphere that uh, that's what put it to the top of my list. It it is a place you land, you start walking around and you start thinking, maybe it's time for me to sit down here and get a pint and, and write Mm -hmm. a few pages. You know, I, 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 I can't, get over the fact that Joyce never returned though. Mm. I don't know. It just, that, that sort of that gnaws at me that, you know, when I visited Dublin um, and I went to the James Joyce center and it's such a celebration of his work and it, no, no one ever mentions why he never came back. And I mean, you know, I don't know what the atmosphere in Trieste is like. I mean, you've been to Trieste and are, are there like monuments to him? Like, you know, I don't remember there being one. There probably is, at least at his house. The The thing that I was thinking of when you started going down this path is how I went to visit Joyce's grave in Zurich. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because one of the things that I, I was popping up while I was doing my research for this is when they would talk about going to visit the graves of writers. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to weigh that exactly because... Does it? They have a, a statue of Joyce, but it doesn't seem like that makes Zurich any more literary necessarily. To just happen to be the place where the author was buried, so I kind of ended up leaving that out. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you? Uh, what's your number three? So I went with the new Paris, as some people called it in the nineties, Prague. Ah. Okay. Um, that was yeah. actually my number three. So, and you had you had some you you had novelists writing in Prague and writing about Prague. I remember um, Arthur Phillips wrote a novel called Prague. Mm. Kafka and Rilke lived there, and mm-hmm. 
Yaroslav Hasek and the fact that it's such a beautiful city and in the 90s was so cheap. Mm-hmm. Right after that, the wall fell. Right. And so, I mean, I don't know who who else went there, but I, I feel like Saffron Foyer, Jonathan Lethem, you know, a lot of these um, writers when they were younger passed through there. Um, Gary Steingart, they were content with not making it into a better uh, a Paris, but keeping it um, on a small scale, almost like a hoarding the city for themselves. Yeah, and it's got uh, Kundera. You know, I almost wonder if Kafka kind of single-handedly made it a safe place for a late 20th century writer to be. What's interesting about Prague, yes, it was very cheap, and that was really helpful, and it was beautiful, and it was inspiring. But there's something about it where it could be, it could feel like a museum. You know, it could feel like a uh, ornate, ornamental city, but instead it it still feels kind of quirky and, and interesting, and I think it might be because of Kafka's spirit has yeah. uh, in, infected it in a sense that it you go there and, and you're not just thinking about, oh, look at this beautiful building and look at this beautiful cobblestone street and look at this nice corner, but you're you're kind of feeling like, look at that castle. It's, it's it seems to be a little oppressive too. And it seems to be Mm. forbidding and it seems to be, I mean, I'll never forget going to Kafka's little house that he had (laughs) that really was in the shadow of this castle. Yeah. And you just think, Oh, no wonder like you, like it, I don't know. It it kind of reminds you, I guess, of the human condition and the human spirit. And it, it feels like a, a real living, breathing place, not just a, uh, I don't know what the right word is. A bauble, I guess. And it, you know, and it, it's a it's a gateway city in in a way mm. um, to mm-hmm. the east. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've never been to St. Petersburg. You know, and I would have liked to pick that because of Dostoevsky and Andre Belli. But um, I was thinking Prague was probably you know a way for people to figure out whether they wanted to go to Moscow or St. Petersburg or Istanbul and. And yet it, it still has that German tradition, too. It kind of taps into all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a beautiful place. And that I, I return back to Paris. And sometimes you walk in Paris and you turn and you see, like, a, a recycling can. And you think, like, oh, my God, what the hell is it doing here? Because hmm. the rest <laughs> of the city is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, you, one little thing out of place, and you just you, and I think Prague, when you first see the Charles Bridge and you walk across that, hmm. it's it's you know it's like a fairy tale. Yep. Now Prague, Prague does pretty well on my identity list as as well. It it is also a city of literature, as was uh, Dublin. So far, you, let's see. So, yeah, Prague is the first one you've taken that that made the UNESCO City of Literature list. (laughs) But interestingly, we have now done, uh, we have done, there's another list of National Geographic had the top 10 literary cities. Uh And uh, Edinburgh, Dublin, London, and Paris were the top four. And St. Petersburg, which you've mentioned now, was uh, fifth. St. Petersburg is a tough one to leave out. I have a feeling that if I've been there, I'd feel more strongly about it. I've never been there. But yeah. I know that it 
the role that it plays in Russian literature and, and Dostoevsky is certainly gives it a lot of that history. I found it hard for me to, to warrant putting a literary city on there that when uh, Vladimir Putin is in charge of the country. Um, <laughs> and I kind of felt the same way about Havana, which was another one I thought of. And, but, you know, if, if the regime is, is somewhat oppressive, unless there's a lot of dissident authors coming out and where it feels like writers are being tolerated, right. um, you know, it, it feels like how how great can a literary city be if it's under the thumb and and nothing good is coming out you know is is allowed to flower there yeah you know one thing we didn't mention when we were talking about prague but i wanted to so, so you want you won't pick like the capital of north korea <laughs> <laughs> i was just imagining the kind of literature that's being worked on there right i'd have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think I actually had it on on my list as one not to pick. Um, <laughs> North Korea, Cuba, uh, St. Petersburg. You know, the the one that I, the polit politician I wanted to mention when we were talking about Prague is Vaclav Havel, who mm. might be the best writer politician of the last century. And he kind of was amazing how he, he first came to prominence from his playwriting. But then even when he was holding office, he was writing these essays and he he was told by his advisors that it was really ill-advised to do this because he was just laying himself bare. It was like a, a complete, just like a, a, a novelist would write his memoirs. And he didn't back down that that was, you know, who he was. He was a writer and he wanted to write about how power and and politics had transformed him and he wrote kind of warts and all about what he was thinking about and trying to do and and his own flaws and everything and it's Prague I think gets a lot of credit for having someone like that in office yeah so I guess I will have to drop a little further down my list and I am going to take Buenos Aires uh, Argentina Mm. which is the only place on my list that I've never been to. But uh, Borges has convinced me he was in love with the city, even though he, he did leave. But it has the history and the culture, and it was named uh, the World Book Capital for the many reading events. And it I, I was glad to pick this one because it might be the best reading city there is. It's not just a lot of these others were kind of talking about do writers sit around and and you know pick up the pen and and sit at the cafe but mm -hmm. this i've just heard that it's full of these open air cafes and people just sit for hours reading a book and nursing a coffee and and what they're reading is so good it's like philosophy and poetry and classic novels and of course borges but probably you know writers from all over the world and you know, it's it's funny. I've been I've been reading uh, Julio Cortazar's short stories lately, yeah. and you know I think of him as I think of his ties to Buenos Aires, and uh, you know, although he was born in Brussels, he he went back and forth to Argentina before settling in Paris. It makes me want to reread Borges and and compare the two because his style is so unique and. Mm -hmm. So experimental. I don't know if you've read his short stories, but yes, I mean each story is just takes over your mind. Yeah, 
Yeah, he he is he is a real treat, a real trip too. I read them in college for a course, and I'll never forget the you know there's there's three or four that really stand out in my memory. Axolotl is one of them. Oh yeah, um, and then that that one where you're you're reading and basically a guy you're reading about a guy who gets murdered in a chair, and then it turns out that it's actually you, the reader. Um, there's a few others oh and of course uh blow up and uh and then the one about charlie parker okay so what's your number four okay so my fourth pick was a little weird because it was a place that when i actually visited i didn't like Mm. but since reading you know elena ferrante's novels uh (laughs) i'm feeling kind of guilty that i should visit Naples again and and give it a try. But the way I I thought I did this pick was I put Naples, Ischia, and Capri Mm. all all three together. Okay. Capri, because I've been rereading some Alberto Moravia Mm -hmm. and, you know, his his classic novel, Contempt, set in Capri. And I think the way they use the, the city's proximity to the sea is really interesting and the way the sea is seen as kind of this potential as opposed to like the poverty and of the city. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been feeling very guilty that I should <laughs> give Naples another try. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I went there, I was, um, my wife and I had, had spent about five weeks traveling from lake the lake region down to naples we were just taken aback by seeing like elderly and kids selling cartons of cigarettes and the first day when we landed in uh uh the train station in naples uh we asked a policeman for directions and he promptly tricked my wife into going into a room with his colleagues and they locked her in Ooh. <laughs> Wow. And then they, they they laughed and then they, they freed the two of us. <laughs> well, that's the thing about Naples. I mean, inspiration would be off the chart. Atmosphere and inspiration would be off the charts for me. I, I, I don't know if it's got the same uh, number of books that were set in Naples, but it is the sort of place where it really fires up the imagination because it has so much... A quirkiness to it and so much there's kind of a darkness yeah it's it's got that sun splashed aspect too but it it also it has those those rituals and just such such history that seems to just flow through the streets there ischia which where chunks of ferenti's books take place uh is is considered sort of capri's poor cousin because Capri has a lot of money, and Shirley Hazard lives there, and Graham Greene for many years lived there, mm. and Ischia has none of that. And now, because of Ferrante's novels, Ischia has become uh, a tourist spot. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting development, you know, when we think of neighborhoods and literary places, what appeals to writers. You know, you would think that. Naples would be a place to write your first novel, and then Capri would be the place to write once you've made it. Right. 
So when you have some some money in your pocket, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's, I guess it's my turn for number four. I am going to take uh, San Francisco, which has got some good literary history. The Beats, Kerouac, and Ginsburg first read Howell at the bookstore there. The City Lights bookstore, which is a great one of the one of the great American bookstores, one of the great bookstores in the history of American literature. I like Gary Schneider quite a bit. I don't know if you consider him a, a beat writer, but uh, in case you don't, more recently, there's Armistead Maupin. And then if you go back further, there was Jack London and Mark Twain. And But really, it's it's more the spirit of the place that I like. It's got the uh, the, the freedom that it seems to have. And then it's got the beauty and the, the Pacific Ocean and the fog and, and the weather. And it has a lot of festivals. The reason why I kind of struggled and why it's only... I had it as number five on my list, but it kind of dropped a few notches for me is because I'm worried that writers can no longer really afford to live there. Mm. I've heard they're getting kind of priced out and it's kind of becoming... Uh, maybe like Manhattan, where it's it's more the history at this point than the twenty year old eager young writer who can, you know, find a, a cheap place to live and a three square meals a day kind of thing. So it, that knocked it down a little bit, but otherwise, I think it's a a place that's just been very inspiring for a lot of people, and it uh, is a place that really values literature and writing. I I had it. It was my the highest U.S. city mm. on my on my list, and mm-hmm. I I was just there earlier this spring of this year, and there are so many good bookstores, so many yeah. independent bookstores, right? And the people in the bookstores were so eager to impose force a recommendation on me, and I, a, a woman invited me to her her book club as I was browsing in the bookstore <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt like this angry, you know, New Yorker who was mistrustful New Yorker, like, <laughs> like, what do you want? <laughs> and, uh, while I was there, you know, I, I was reading Robert Haas's poetry mm. Yep. Um, and just you know, we went out to see the redwoods. And I I just think it's it, it it's the best American place to just kind of ruminate and and, and try to write. Hmm. I think so. Yeah. And it's it draws such interesting people there and uh, very creative people. It's it's like a magnet. So with my last pick, I went with. I was tempted to say Portland, but I, I went with Berlin. Mm, right. So Portland, you were thinking Powell's books. I, I would almost move to Portland because of Powell's. <laughs> uh, if people don't know what Powell's is, Powell's is the, probably the biggest bookstore in the world. It's a block-long bookstore. Um, I think it has a million books. It has used books. It has a cafe. It, it's a place that is both intimidating and also welcoming. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz you go in there and there, you know, there are huge sections of various strains of marxism and but then it has like great kids section and you find that people 
families make trips there. Anyway, but that, that, that that's my case for Portland. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I for number five, I went with Berlin. I I think Berlin. It's an interesting city. It's 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 like London. I think London they say is like six villages that were combined to to make a city. And I think Berlin might might be like thirteen villages mm. that were combined. And so each neighborhood has a real history to it. And since the unification, um, East Berlin, the neighborhood there, Kreuzberg, has become a hotbed for literary events and cafes and ton of bars. I, I think we haven't touched upon that, the importance of bars for, yeah. for writing. Yeah, cafes and pubs seem to be yeah. a key to assessing the literary qualities of a city. Yeah. Berlin, to me, is very cosmopolitan, and you have Nabokov and, of course, Christopher Isherwood um, and Kafka visiting there. So, I, I think of all the cities on my list, Berlin is the most welcoming place today for writers. Hmm. That's interesting. It's a good choice. It was not on my list. And I am going to, since I have the last pick here, I'm going to run through some of the cities that I considered and uh, didn't. A lot of them fell because of the uh, identity issue new orleans for example which is a great literary city but i really think of it as a, a music you know music is really the focus there and la uh is really an actor's town dc i was surprised was on a lot of people's lists i think because of the library of congress and the shakespeare library but i think of it as really more of uh politicians and lawyers yeah. town and then and then there were a few that their identity really is literature but the inspiration and the atmosphere i found to be lacking mm -hmm. iowa city for example oh uh, yeah you know they were the number three city of literature you could just imagine them trying to get in through the gate early on that because of the iowa writers workshop but you know how inspiring is it really i mean i i can't think of any iowa writers who set books in iowa where they weren't just making fun of the place um, and same thing about other college towns like Berkeley and Ann Arbor and even Boston, I thought was a little too insular, uh, to really be a great literary city. And then there were a bunch of European capitals, Reykjavik and Stockholm and Copenhagen, all of which rank very high. And I'm kind of stuck with we, we've mentioned so many of the cities that were on my list i'm actually going to have to go all the way down to number 10 on my list for my <laughs> fifth pick so i guess i will take rome <laughs> and the identity is not great i think of rome really as being kind of about history and, and government and art religion but the inspiration is huge uh everybody who passes through rome is inspired to start thinking about grand thoughts and and things beyond themselves and to to think that it's important to try to scale the highest heights and and be the best person you can be in order to measure up with all of the people who have come before and all the different historical periods Keats and Shelley were there and they still have a pretty strong presence uh when you go to the Spanish steps or when you visit the um 
uh, the cemetery where they're buried. And then it, it also has all of the ancient writers. And then I guess we could count Moravia as um, somebody who I've I've read and enjoyed, somebody from the past 50 years. There's probably a lot of others as well, but, but I'm going to give it uh, give my fifth pick to Rome, basically just for scoring off the charts on the inspiration and atmosphere mm. criteria. I, you know, I, th- I think you can pick um, a handful of I- Italian cities. Yeah. Um, a- a- any of a handful of Italian cities. Cause when I think this podcast was really fun to, to research because there, there are so many places I visited that I don't remember very well (laughs) but 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 i i do you know have warm fuzzy memories about it and uh like a place like siena Hmm. like and i remember when i was there i thought you know this is the place to write a novel Mm -hmm. there because during the day it's over it, it it's like this perfect example of the way the brain works like during the day there's bustle and all the tourists come in and then at night everyone leaves and i Mm. forget what they say but at night the population of siena is like eight thousand. right and then during the day it's like you know seventy five thousand. right yeah it's it's a great place and it's got those great piazzas um italy is just great for being uh and the pace of Italy is really good for a writer, you know, just the, um, that you have these long afternoons and then you have a late dinner and then you, you could still write afterwards if you want, or you could spend the afternoon writing and kind of working your way and then reward yourself with the dinner and just the focus people have on the quality of life and the, uh, taking your time with things, I think can be very productive for writers. So what's interesting to me, and I don't know if you tried to do this, I worried that uh, my choices were going to be too Anglo-centric. And so I was trying to find, for a while I thought I'd try to take one city on every continent. Melbourne, Australia is one people talk about. I've never been to Australia, so I wasn't much of a, a judge of that. But uh, I looked at cities like Beijing and Taipei and places I've been uh, that did, just did not feel all that literary to me. And I don't know if that's mm. uh, Western bias and I just wasn't uh, as inspired by, you know, the ghost of Confucius or if I was thinking that the writers maybe aren't that uh, welcome there. Uh, these days or what it was. I also, I couldn't find a good pick in Africa. I was finding more regions than, than actual cities. I don't know. Did you try to branch out at all or did you just go with uh, what was coming to your mind? Yeah. I mean, having not, never gone, having never been to like Tokyo, you know, I was very Mm -hmm. curious doing a little research about Tokyo yeah, it, at at the end, it, it was hard to justify picking a place you haven't been to. Yeah, right. Um, and, and to that end, I can't believe we didn't pick New York. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was gonna sneak it in, but you know, I was I, as we were talking, I was thinking perhaps I'm ragging on New York because I expect it to be even more literary than it is. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I had it as seven on my list, but then we spent so much time at the beginning talking about why we were not picking New York number one <laughs> that I felt like I should just cross it off altogether. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I, there are so many great reading series. <laughs> we might that, need to rethink this. We might. Yeah. The, we might have to do an episode on New York. Yeah, the the credibility of the History of Literature podcast <laughs> might take a real hit here that we came up with the top 10 literary cities and did not name New York as one of them. There are great bars, um, you know, Chumley's, the old speakeasy on Bedford Street and in the West Village is about to reopen. Right. <laughs> and what is it, the White Horse Tavern? Wasn't that oh, the, uh, right. the uh, Dylan Thomas's? Haunt? I mean, there's so many. There's there's really no excuse for not including New York other than if we say it's a banker's town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chicago, we left out as well. We left out like the two cities you've actually lived in um, and you've spent <laughs> your whole life as a literary striver. maybe they were too close to home okay well i think uh do you have any other concluding thoughts on this this was a fun one yeah i mean uh, i think you know had i spent more time in seattle Mm. or a place Mm -hmm. like charleston um savannah or uh yeah or uh uh baghdad well, here's here's a here, here, here's a dark horse: the Hudson Valley in New York, upstate New York. Mm, yeah. Um, last summer, we spent some time in Rhinebeck near Bard College, and the the used book sale, the used book sales were amazing. Mm. Uh, and I, I think a lot of New Yorkers have um, moved up there permanently kind of opted out of the the rat race in Manhattan. Yeah, there is there is it w- would be nice to have at least one country setting or rural setting on our list. Yeah. Just as a stand-in for all of the all of the rural areas out there that are very have been very inspiring to writers over the years. Okay, well let's leave things there. And uh Mike, thanks for joining me on this episode of the History of Literature podcast. Thanks, Jack. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature podcast. Wasn't that fun? I had a good time. I'm still a a little baffled that neither of us took New York, but maybe that shouldn't be so surprising. It will be to New Yorkers, I'm sure. Send your anger toward Mike's Twitter account at LiteratureSC. Send all your praise my way at WriterJack. That's WriterJack, J-A-C-K-E. Also, HistoryOfLiterature.com and Facebook.com slash HistoryOfLiterature. If you haven't subscribed, please do so as soon as you can. Check out our sponsor at AudibleTrial.com slash H-O-L. They're ready to give you a free downloadable book, compliments of Audible and the good folks at the history of... I actually I turned that around, didn't I? The good folks at Audible and those of us here at the History of Literature podcast. And maybe spend some cold and lonely January days and February days writing reviews on iTunes 
ranking us highly, and telling all your friends about the pleasures of the History of Literature podcast. We'll be back next time with a special guest, Margot Livesey, a wonderful novelist who hails from Scotland. Remember our episode on bad poetry with all the Scottish poets? She's not one of those Scottish writers. She's in the tradition of all those we mentioned just now when we discussed Edinburgh, all the, the great Scottish writers. It's a fun conversation, and we race through some classic works. You won't want to miss it. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>